Welcome to another episode of It's a Long Beach Thing, where we bring on guests and we talk about this beautiful city we call Long Beach. And now, here's your host, motivational coach, Paul Fortune. Welcome to It's a Long Beach Thing. Be sure to invite yourself to our Facebook group, It's a Long Beach Thing, and subscribe to the podcast, whether you're listening to Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Podbean, or on all of them. And we have a real treat for you. We have my former high school classmate, Cesar Moran. Cesar, how are you today? I'm doing quite well, Paul. Thank you. Cool, man. It's been a long time. I mean, I know we run into each other every now and again in Long Beach, but we really haven't had a a conversation since uh, left high school back in the late 90s. Yeah, we're we're always seemingly too busy and we're just crossing paths. So I'm glad I got to sit down with you and talk a little bit. Absolutely. So since this is all about Long Beach, tell us your connection with Long Beach. Yeah, so uh, graduated St. Anthony, class of 99. Uh, born, uh, raised in Long Beach for all up until I was 17 before I left for college. Uh, went to school in San Luis Obispo and uh, crafted a, a scheme to get back to Long Beach. Mm. And uh, there weren't that many engineering jobs in Long Beach when I graduated. And for the years after, you know, we got hit with the 2008 recession and um, just opportunities weren't here in that aspect. So uh, eventually I had to create my own business and uh, move the business to Long Beach. And I was able to, uh, to get some, house, uh, some housing in Long Beach too with before everything, all the home prices went crazy. So uh, here we are. I uh, live uh, in Belmont, what is it, Belmont uh, Park area. Belmont Park, uh, Belmont Heights. Yep. And what, then, what, what big streets are we talking? Uh, Appian Way, uh, right by Marine Stadium. Oh, oh, wow. That's, oh yeah. That's, that's a great area to be. Yeah. And then work is over here by the traffic circle. So. So are you in Spinnaker Bay? No, 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 no. I'm uh, the South of Marine Stadium. Okay. Yeah. Right by uh, Rogers Middle School. Mm, Nice. That's a beautiful area to be. Yeah, no, we, we love it a lot. And the the commute's about a 10 minute commute uh, to the traffic circle, Uh, you know, pending the Wilson traffic, that'll add another five minutes, but. Nobody feels sorry for me here at work. That's for sure. I I, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> you can almost walk there. Uh, I think I've had to uh, to take a electric scooter once. Yeah, but that's uh that's about as bad as it's got. Yeah. Right on. Right. Uh, so, what city did you start your business at? In uh, Whittier. Uh, that's where we lived before. Uh, so I started at you know just kind of uh, moonlighting a little bit and getting a couple clients in. Um, you know, this kind of work started getting out and, you know, my first deal was a little $1,500 design and then it started growing to a $10,000 contract and a $20,000 contract. And now, you know, we're deciding million dollar contracts. So it's just kind of been snowballing and we've been kind of fortunate to be, uh, on that, uh, that path so far. So it's, it's gone pretty good. That's fantastic. So you started working for, for somebody else and then you were doing your, your business at night is that how you were how, how that's how you started things 
Yeah. So one thing I wanted to be respectful of was uh, not to compete with my employer. Um, I, I just thought that, that was kind of a, not a cool thing to do. So actually my first clients were abroad. I was doing um, work for people out in Australia and uh, just kind of made sure that there wasn't a conflict there, but yeah, I'd, I'd do it in after hours and uh, made sure I wasn't using the, you know, any company property or anything like that and making sure everything was on the up and up. So uh, yeah, I started that route. And before you knew it, I had to kind of lease out a little tiny office space in Pico Rivera with a single desk in it. And, you know, it was uh, my way of going to work, I guess, on the weekends. My, my wife would laugh at me because I'd get dressed up to, to go to, to my office on a Saturday. Yeah. She says, what are you getting dressed up for? There's nobody there. <laughs> But, you know, it, it was kind of exciting to uh, to kind of start dreaming the part. And so, um, so yeah, I guess uh, the dream became a reality in a sense. So it was a, like a mindset thing for you, right? You w- want to dress your way to success. Yeah, yeah. I think that that takes a, a big role in it, right? You want to set the attitude right in the morning. And um, attitude plays a huge part, I think, in the the vibe that you put out to people. If you come to work grumpy, upset, kind of not satisfied with your life, then the, your clients, your employees are kind of pick up on that vibe and it kind of um, sets a negative tone for the day, which feeds back on itself. And then now you get negative, uh, negative vibes from them and now your whole day is shot. So I, I try to kick off my day with something positive, something good. Not every day is like that. Um, meditation helps in the beginning just to kind of recognize the things that you're grateful for. And um, just put a positive uh, note on the day and, and kick it off right. All right. Well, take me back to that time where you're working for a company and you, you have your side hustle going on. How many hours a, a, a day were you putting in to make that work? Uh, it started, you know, one or two hours. I, I just had a, my, my daughter had just been born. And so I really had to wait to put her to bed. And then after the whole family was asleep, then that would be my time to, uh, go upstairs and uh, into the office and knock out a little bit of work. Like I said, there were kind of small projects in the beginning, so it wasn't really a huge deal. I wasn't taking on you know weeks worth of work. It was more like a day or two worth of work a week at most. And then the clients weren't really in a real rush either. So that kind of helped. I had some flexibility there. Um, but yeah, it, it worked out. I wasn't uh, going too crazy. You, know, you do need to rest and you do need to take care of yourself. So that's a big component of it too. You got to know how to pace yourself on these kind of things. It, eventually you do get to a point where you do start uh, gathering enough clients and enough work where you got to make a decision, right? It's uh, mm-hmm. sink or swim. And that, that's probably the, the hardest part about starting a business is what if you succeed? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think everybody kind of has a picture of what it's going to be like if you fail, right? You kind of, yeah. Maybe you're sad. Maybe you go uh, groveling back to your old boss. But I think uh, an overlooked aspect of it is plan to succeed. What happens when you get more clients than you can handle? What are you going to do? You're going to turn down more people. You're going to hire more people. You're going to increase your prices. You kind of have to look ahead. And so for me, um, I kind of skip that portion of it in a weird way and um, this is a little bit of a longer story but I think it's important I started off my own company and kind of was growing the entrepreneur path and then I was you know I was along the mindset okay I eventually have to kind of make a decision here and in the process of planning 
or this transition from an employer to self-employment, the reality is that's very hard. You know, your, your revenue stream isn't consistent. You don't have really a marketing plan or a marketing program or the resources to implement one. So that leap from, you know, making your salary to earning it for yourself becomes a daunting one. And I kind of ran the numbers, kind of try to play with some business plans and, and realized that, you know what, I, it's not really worth it for me. I, for me, it wasn't really worth spending a year or two trying to build up that client base to get back to a, a revenue model that matched what my current employer was paying me. So I kind of backed off a little bit, but I said, you know what, I don't really want to give up on this dream. So maybe another option is to purchase an existing company. And so I started looking at what that would take, I looked at SBA loans. And uh, one interesting thing I, I found out about SBA loans was that you had to be in business for three years in order to qualify for that, uh, for that loan. You didn't have to make money those three years. You just had to be in business for three years. That's crazy. And so I went to uh, my local banker, you know, just, we were still in Whittier. I just went to the, the banker and said, Hey, you know what? I'm reading this stuff about SBA loans. You know, I'm kind of wondering if I qualify and what I would qualify for. And she was very helpful. She says, well, have you been in business for three years? And I said, well, you know, I, I filed my corporate documents three years ago, which is okay. Well, you've been in business for three years. And then I think there's some other criteria. I forget exactly what they were, but I think you have to be under a certain um, income level or whatever, basically, you know, that, I don't, that I'm not already a millionaire or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but point being is that by virtue of having filed those documents three years ago, I qualified for this ABA, SBA loan. And so the next step was, okay, how much do I qualify for? And she says, well, it doesn't matter how much you make. It ma what matters is your business plan. And can you convince us that your business plan is worth investing in? I said, okay, that's easy then. You know, I don't, there's no income requirements, at least not for the, the bottom side of it. So I started looking, um, just started looking for engineering companies for sale. Um, they're few and far between, but eventually I did find one in Torrance and I called the, the owner. We had a conversation, you know, he vetted me out a little bit, asked me what I was about, how, what my intentions for his staff would be and what my vision for the company would be came uh, agreed on, on a price, which I thought was more than fair. He was essentially giving the company away because he just wanted to retire already, but he was more concerned about the well-being of his employees more so than how, how much he was going to get out of the deal. Took that back to the bank. And the SBA loan process is so, there's so much paperwork in it that I was constantly submitting stuff back and forth. I was so busy dealing with the bureaucratic process. I didn't realize that closing date was upon us. And before you knew it, the deal was closed and uh, I was supposed to have my first day at the new office of the company I owned. And I remember sitting down in the chair, finally, now that the escrow had closed and you know everybody had got their money and the paperwork was signed. And I sit down and I say, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> Can I really do this? And so, you know, that was a whole other adventure, but yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of interesting how that went down. So you, you purchased an existing business. So you had clientele already going on projects already going on that you took over 
in this in this process, correct? Right, right. So I, I was able to skip that one to five year period where you just you're just kind of grinding it on your own and you take that risk on that first employee. And if they don't work out, you know, you're out of the salary that you paid them and maybe you upset some clients, you know, I was able to kind of skip all that in exchange for taking on a loan. Mm. To me, it was worth it. I, I didn't, you know, having two kids at the time, it wasn't really anything I had time for, but you know, you do take the risk and taking out the loan because if you fail now, you're on the hook. You owe, you owe the money back. Yeah. But so at that, at that point, when you took out the loan and you bought the company, at that point, you probably didn't have time for your current employer. So at that time, you probably had to quit. Is that correct? Once I once I closed on the deal, correct. Once I closed the deal, um, well, I gave notice to them before. I guess they get a, um, and you probably know this more than I do, but I think it was, a, is it a commitment letter? Mm. And once it's pretty much a done deal, I forget. Yeah. It, or, or maybe it was a funding letter. I forget what, it, what the correct term was. But essentially, once I got notification from the bank that yes, the SBA had approved the loan and it was going to get funded within a matter of weeks. Then I gave notice to my employer and, you know, they were really happy with me. It it was one of these companies where I could probably see myself being with them the rest of my life. They had a great program, great professional, um, professional development programs, great benefits, great pay. Everything was good. I, I had no complaints of it. Nevertheless, my boss, he says, well, is there anything we can do to, to convince you to stay? And I told him the situation. I'm like, look, I got this great opportunity to take over a business. And he just says, well, we definitely can't compete with that. You know, we're sorry to see you leave, but, uh, but best of luck to you. That, that's, that's fabulous. What made you have that entrepreneur uh, mindset that you kind of wanted to, to branch out on your own? Uh, that's a that's another little funny one too. So I had I have a little bit of a competitive streak, and uh, you know, we, as you know, I did sports all three seasons in in high school, and it was just something that I I like to uh, to do. I just I don't know, I just have this competitive nature in me. I got to the point in my career, I was about what uh, maybe five or six years into it, where I looked at the project manager that I was doing some work for, and I thought to myself, I'm like, you know. I could probably do a better job than this guy. <laughs> mm. And so I just, you know, I didn't obviously wouldn't say that out loud because yeah. it was just a little idea I had in my head. But the more I learned, the more um, I was taught, the more I thought, yeah, I think I could do a better job than this guy. And around that time, it was uh, the recession hit. And, you know, there was no promotions. There weren't any raises going on. So I was kind of stuck. And it was, you know, early, early on enough in my career where the learning curve is pretty steep. You know, I'm, I'm learning things real quick. I'm getting better at everything I'm doing. I'm knocking things out. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I, I deserve a, at least a promotion. At least give me the title. Even if you don't want to give me the money, I get the money part. You know, the, the whole company is kind of struggling. But at least give me the title, you know. And they wouldn't do it. And, you know, right now, all promotions are frozen. And then that kind of kind of burned me a little bit. I said, you know, screw this. Maybe I'm just um, I'm gonna start my own deal, and it's time to put my uh, money where my mouth is, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let, let's see if I can really do this independent of somebody else's opinion of what I can do. And I think that was one of the final um, factors in me making that decision. Was here I have how many years were you into your career where you started thinking that way? I, like I said, I was probably, let's see, that was, um, 
maybe 2009 or so. So what is that? Probably five or six years into it. Mm, okay. Probably okay. So you, so you had a grasp on things. Yeah. But I, I mean, looking back, what, what the hell did I know? Right. But at least in the moment. Five or six years though. I mean, at least you, at least you know enough to get uh, dirty. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was licensed professional engineer at the time. Um, I, I had seen everything at least once. Now it was just a matter of perfecting my craft and, and doing things better, quicker, and learning how to deal with, with clients and the challenges that come with doing business with people, you know, not necessarily running a business, but you know, how do you explain to a client that their product is over budget and you need more money kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Somebody calls you upset. How do you protect yourself from a lawsuit kind of thing? Yeah, those were kind of the themes that I was learning at the time. It wasn't so much the technical engineering part. It was being being a human being, right? Learning inter- interactions with people in high stress situations. Yeah, absolutely. And and that that actually was one of the things that gave me confidence. Is we used to work with a lot of subconsultants, and the the subconsultants they're just they're great engineers, but they're horrible people per person per person people people. I forgot. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, the, people the person, person, yeah. They couldn't articulate what they wanted to say, right? And so they would always ask me, hey, can you tell the client this for me? And I didn't mind, whatever. I was already in a, in a meeting with the client anyway. But I, be, I ended up becoming the conduit to all of these, uh, all these uh, people that, you know, are just nerdy engineering people that can't talk to clients. And, you know, that kind of gave me some confidence. Hey, you know what? I've got a lot of consultants here that are respecting me and the way I present them. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't mind taking that on. Right on. So then, um, did, so then you're, so now you're, you have your business. It, it's a, uh, established business. You're in Whittier. The business is in Whittier. What did you do to take it to the next level? Oh, I'm sorry. No, the, the business that I bought was not in Whittier. Is oh, when, where was it? The, the business that I bought was in Torrance. Okay. The bit, I was assuming you did say that. Okay. So you have the, which is Torrance is a, is a wonderful area. So you have a business in Torrance, which is a great place to be. Yeah. And um, you're in it now. This is, own, oh, what is this? Oh, oh, is this 2010, 2011? No, this is 2014. 2014. Okay. So you're in it. It's your business now. What, what are you, so what was the next steps to get it, get, get you to the next level? So this business was located in an old 1950s building. That used to be a government building. I, I believe the previous owner told me it used to be an old DMV building. It had no windows. The only window that it had was covered up with some cardboard or something. The place was horrible. It just sucked the soul out of you. So the first thing I did when I stepped in that building was we got to move. There is no way that anybody with any amount of respectable talent is going to want to come work at this building. <laughs> So um, we had to uh, hunt for a new location. How many employees did you have at this point? At that time, we were, there was 10 of us. We were, we were a company of 10 people. And uh, the, the people that were there, they, they were fine with it. They didn't care. But they were also you know, on the verge of retirement, too. They had all worked together for about 20 years. And these guys already were looking at retirement. They didn't really care about you know, promotion or what the next five to 10 years held for the company. They're just kind of there to see it through. But me being, well, how old was I? I was about 30, 31 years old at the time. I'm like, this is not, I don't want to work here. <laughs> now, how am I going to recruit somebody, you know, hotshot engineer? They're going to come here and laugh at us. So we 
needed to move. And, and my commute to Whittier was about an hour and a half each day. I would go through a news cycle and go through the entire playlist of a, of a radio station in that time. And it got old real fast. So I told my wife, I'm, I'm like, hey, you know, I want to bring work and home closer together. I'm trying to look for some spaces in, um, in Long Beach. At least that'll get me closer. And let's start looking at places to move in Long Beach too. She wasn't 100% convinced just yet. Um, she wanted, to, we were kind of looking to move too because the schools in Whittier weren't the best. And we had some small children that we were looking into the future for and kind of looking at a place to move. So being engineers, she, she's an engineer as well. We create a spreadsheet, you know, top 10 things that we, top 10 factors that we're looking for in a place to call home. So we run the math, I guess it's not math, but we, we did this little spreadsheet with the top 10 factors. And we started looking at statistics for, um, for cities all over the United States. And I forget what database we used, but we ran all the numbers and the top two finalists were Austin and Long Beach. You know, some of the factors were proximity to family, um, good schools, the entertainment, the night, nightlife entertainment. You know, we, we still thought, you know, we were young parents, we didn't know any better, but we still thought we could do nightlife stuff back then. So th those factors came into play and it came down to Austin and uh, and my wife was all ecstatic. She's like, I love Austin. Let's, let's go check it out. Austin, Texas? Austin, Texas. That's right. So I said, okay, you know, th this was, uh, I got to be fair. I don't want to be uh, too biased to Long Beach. I knew where I wanted to live, but let's, let's just run the numbers and see how it works out. We got a realtor to go show us uh, Austin and we got the tour. Um, downtown was great. All the restaurants were there. There were uh, good schools in the area, all, all the things that we were looking for. The price point was a problem though, because the places where we wanted to live cost just as much as the places uh, in Long Beach. <laughs> so it turns out that no matter where in the United States you live, if you want a house that ha that's in a good school district next to some decent nightlife and activities with good transportation and a good uh, health system, you're going to pay just about everywhere you go. The only difference is that Texas has higher taxes and you have to drive out, drive out a little further to get something that we could afford. So the, the taxes and uh, the tax the taxes in Texas were higher than than in California. Yeah, they don't oh, have. Wow. Um, I, don't I know, know property taxes are definitely higher. That's what I meant. Property taxes. Oh, yeah. got it. Okay. Property taxes, yeah. And uh, and I think they they assess the value of the homes a little bit differently. In California, we have a cap about two or three percent a year, something like that. In any case, Long Beach ended up winning out, so I was happy and. Uh, we started shopping for a house in, in Long Beach. And that's, and that's where you got the place uh, on Appingham Way? Yeah, yeah. We, we snuck in there kind of uh, right before things, pricing started to get extra crazy. Yeah, so we were kind of lucky. Yeah, that's a great place to go, uh, great place to be. There's a, there's a new cafe over that way. Have you eaten at that cafe? Yeah, Ubuntu. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. They started when... Uh, like two weeks before COVID hit, they opened up something like that. Oh no. 
yeah so my wife and i and my neighbors we did everything we could to support them as you know they they started up and you know, I was buying coffee there every day sometimes twice a day i don't even know if i'd finish all of it but um man these poor people they just opened up this business and we wanted to stay because it was a vacant place for years i mean when when we first moved to long beach it was in construction we were all excited like oh this is gonna be great it's a great location the architecture looked great and I just sat there for years. And so once Ubuntu came around, then we were all happy. Like, we want this place to succeed. Come on, like just <laughs> make it through, you know, and, and we're, we're very happy that they did. And, and so now, you know, it's too crowded for us to go there. We'll, we'll get in line every once in a while, but it's, uh, it's crazy now. I guess you did your job. You, you kept them afloat. Now that they're, they're busy, they, they don't need you as much now, right? Yeah, <laughs> uh, well, they, they, they still say hi. I mean, they remember us from yeah. the early days. So they, they say, oh, just cut in line away. I can't do that. If I really <laughs> want a coffee, I'll, I'll come around the counter and, uh, and use my, uh, my, my local privilege, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let them run their business. And we'll, we'll become one of the normal people now. Absolutely. So let's get back into into your business a little bit. You, you found us a, a spot uh, near the traffic circle. Um, now I noticed the name uh, Moran Consulting. Did you change the name of, the, of your company when you moved it or how did that all come about? Yeah, it was part of the deal. Actually, the, the previous owner's wife did not want us to use the company name. I didn't know. I, I didn't care. Whatever. We'll change it. It wasn't really a big deal to me but it was, it was very important to them that I changed the name. And I am not the creative type by any means. And so I'd struggled with different names for a while. And I said, oh, you know what, we'll just do more consulting because <laughs> I can't think of anything cooler. So that, that's what it was and that's what it is. So go into exactly what you do. I know you talk about engineering, but what do you exactly do for your clients? Yeah, so we, um, we are consultants. Uh, we advise our clients on land development projects. And for the most part, our portfolio is taking underutilized properties and converting them to residential properties. So most of the underutilized properties that we see are schools and uh, churches that no longer have attendance. There, there's some school properties where in, in neighborhoods that there just aren't enough kids to support an opening a school so that they'll end up closing down these elementary schools and so these properties sit for years on end just without being used eventually the developer will cut a deal with uh with the property owners and uh, they'll hire us to develop some concepts to start out with so that they can get through the, the planning department um once we get through the conceptual phase and get the community input and we get the green light to to move forward with a concept then the real fun begins and we start the real engineering on it. It will be the lead civil engineer, meaning that we do all the, all the groundwork for it, all the utilities and the walls and you know, shaping the, the, the contours of the earth, whatnot. And um, yeah, we just start building a, a new little community, uh, one property at a time. And that's, that's makes up a, a big portion of it. Any projects in the Long Beach area that you could talk about? You know, Long Beach is kind of stagnant for the type of projects that we do. It, it seems like there's the, the high-rise projects that go up that are pretty high profile. And then there's these little tiny projects that happen, you know, that maybe it's just a, a single property owner that's either redoing their home or maybe it's a, a teardown and they're rebuilding a the house. But in terms of 
flipping over a church site, let's say, and putting up 32 condos. That's not something that we've seen a lot of here in Long Beach. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. We're, we're not invited to every single product that's here in Southern California, but I just haven't seen that, that activity I've seen elsewhere here in, in Long Beach. So surprisingly, for being a Long Beach company, we don't really do that much business in Long Beach. What, what do you hear about the project uh, near uh, PCH and 2nd, where the Mimi's Cafe is and um, uh, where the Whole Foods used to be? I, I heard that there's a project going into place where they're going to uh, tear it all down and build uh, condominiums. Have you heard anything about that? I thought I, I thought I read I thought I saw an article about that, but that's not surprising. Uh, one of the things that you have to realize about those projects is that they take years to implement. You know, they have to get to the Coastal Commission, they have to get to the Planning Department. So even for us, I mean, we've been in business for what, seven, seven, eight, seven years now. Those projects are probably about five years in the making or so. So if we were to get invited to consult on a project today, you probably wouldn't see it for another five years. So if, I mean, to the general public, it seems like they just kind of pop up, but there's a lot of regulation and approvals and community input that you need to go through before you see construction. But now that we have that, um, that new development out there, you know, all of these other commercial properties that are surrounding, it's only a matter of time before they want their new projects up and running now that they can build higher and they have different, uh, different parking requirements than they used to have whenever they were built so they can get a little bit more dense. And I, and I believe even the, um, the, the wetland area there cut some sort of deal to where they'll convert a portion of that to a preserve and they, the landowners are donating that, comp that property to, I forget which agency, but some public agency to, to preserve in perpetuity in exchange for the rights to develop another portion of it. So there's a lot of action going on in that area. The wetland area, that's uh, kind of across the street there where you know, where the oil uh, derricks are. Yeah. Right? Is that the area you're behind, talking about? Yeah, behind the in and out. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Uh, got it. Okay. So some of that area they're looking to possibly develop into, into residential such stuff. Uh, you know, I don't know what the, what specifically I have planned. I think the first step was in just cutting that deal where they would donate a portion of it for preservation and then utilize the remainder of it for a, some sort of development. Hmm. But as far as what that is, I don't know. I'm not involved in it. And I mean, I'm just a general public, so I, I know as much as the, the public knows at this point. You know, I, I love your business model because I think it's going to uh, – be more prevalent more and more with um, Amazon being strong and all these online shopping in, in entities that people are going to. So the, the normal residential air, or no, excuse me, not residential, the normal commercial areas, those strip malls, they're going to see less and less business. So I always thought in my head, well, if that's the case and, and we need more residential, why not rezone? And it sounds like you've been working on projects like that correct yeah yeah and, and you'll see that probably the first wave of that that you'll see is probably the larger malls the malls definitely don't get as much traffic as they used to and so either you, you have malls that are very popular still they're they've usually been converted to some sort of outdoor mall but the old 80s malls where everything's enclosed and you can just walk around and spend 
you know, a full day just hanging out with your friends and milling about, yeah, those don't get as much traffic as they used to. So there's a lot of discussion about converting those into something else, either mixed use or a condo project, something like that. Yeah, because yeah, the biggest thing that's been going on, and I think I think you would agree with it, that the reason uh, housing has been going up much, much, much is because there's no inventory. And then we, we need to, obviously we need to build more um, because there's, there's a su supply and demand issue there. Um, and I think that some of those issues might be levied by, by rezoning, don't you think? Or Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it, rezoning is a, is a sensitive issue because you're not, when, when you redo a property like that, you're not just dealing with that individual property, you're affecting a community. Mm -hmm. So you kind of, ideally people want to master plan things and kind of predict the future as to how a community is going to be shaped. Sometimes that can be a little bit rigid and sometimes depending on the people in the, that are doing the planning, it could be wrong. Mm. You could put all single family development in a neighborhood and forget to put in enough grocery stores. Mm. You end up with a food desert. <laughs> yeah. how, how far do you want to drive before you get to the store? You know, So some of that, you know, people try to plan ahead for other places, take a more organic approach where they do allow some flexibility. So when the community does develop, maybe the community, the community, the community can put some input as to where a grocery store is going to be, you know, where the entertainment industry is going to be, you know, things like that. But it, it's a bit difficult to, to try to predict where that's going to go, especially when you have projects that are going to take five, 10 years, you know, in 10 years are, you know, are condos still going to be popular or is it, does everybody still want single family housing, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Where do you see the future of Long Beach, say like five, 10 years? What do you think the changes will be in as far as the structures of, are concerned with buildings and such? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, I think Long Beach in general, the, the residents here and the locals here like myself, we kind of like how it is for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, there's definitely a lot of areas that we would like to see cleaned up, but I think that's that's kind of a selfish um, point of view, I think, you know, when we talk about cleaned up, you know, you're, you're probably talking about somebody else's neighborhood and to them. That's home. So, you know, it's, it's you look at some places in Long Beach and, you know, they're, you know, they're just not as clean as other places. Maybe there's more trash collecting. And when people want to improve those areas, you know, that inevitably that means that the, pricing is going to get higher because it's a more attractive place to live and you start displacing people that have lived in Long Beach for their whole life and that's a different conversation right how do you balance that how do you balance the people that live here that are agreeing to some of these uh, projects to improve their neighborhoods but they're kind of agreeing to their own demise in a way because once the neighborhoods get cleaned up and improved property values go up, people sell, and you have a new group of people move in. So it's, there's a lot of social challenges that come with it. And like I said, when we design and we build stuff, it's not just a building, you're impacting a community. And that's why we seek the input of the public, of the politicians here in the area, of the planning department, because there's so many people that are impacted by this stuff that you can't just make the decision on your own. Those are some excellent points. And, and, and you're right. I mean, by, by doing some of the, the quote unquote cleanup, 
um, it'll make some areas uh, very high to afford rent. And yeah. some of these uh, these people that have been there, like you said, for their whole lives, might not be able to afford the rent. Um, so that that is that is definitely a sensitive uh, subject, and that's a good thing that you do is talk to the local residents of, of that neighborhood or the politicians or that that have those districts to kind of get the lay of the land and and what they're looking for because their their cleanup could be uh, quite different than like you said if the cleanup or, or the neighborhood that you're in. Yeah, I mean personally, I think. And, and I think the city does try to do this, and, and I th- do think they have their their eye on this. But you know, and, and having a more holistic approach to this, it's not just a matter of hey, let's tear something old down and build something new. If you could put a program together where you have a good education system, you have a good path for local entrepreneurs to succeed, then the very same people that you're impacting could be the very same people that are buying those new homes. I just kind of like, I mean, think about myself, you know, now that I'm a business owner and have a bit more money to, uh, to spend, you know, I can't afford to go to a nicer neighborhood than I could have, let's say, if, you know, in my high school years or whatever, you know, if I had just graduated from high school, you know, what can you afford with a high school degree in Long Beach? But if you can have a local, education and work program and entrepreneur program and kind of package that all together then realistically even if somebody leaves for college or you know to go find themselves for a couple years whatever if there's local incentive to come back and live here again now you're still it's kind of a cyclical process right and now those same people can't afford to afford that that new development that's coming and they'll demand it realistically yeah, that's a great point. So where do you want to take your business? Do you want it to start to do a lot more local things? Yeah, one of the things that we were working with before COVID was trying to partner with the local high schools in the area and offer internships to, the, um, to some high school kids to come work here locally. And it was, we, were on, we were so close to getting this program put together, but it was... Um, you know, with any labor laws, if you bring on somebody, it's not like the old days when you can hire an intern, and not pay them anything, and they do work for free, but in exchange, they'd learn. You can't do that anymore. Now, um, I forget what minimum wage is, but it's, it's approaching $15 an hour, from what I understand. So, oh, interesting. So internship, they have to be paid internships now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The labor, wow. the labor laws in California, you have to pay everybody that works, and you have to give them I believe it's at least three days of sick leave. Um, that was pre-COVID. And now with COVID, I, I think every time they get impacted by COVID, they get like two weeks or something. So uh, as an employer, it becomes pretty expensive to take somebody on that doesn't know anything, right? Yeah. So, you, know, you can't really expect a, a high school student to come into the office and produce anything. Really what we're doing is we're donating our time to them to teach them something, knowing that they're not going to stay here as an employee, that they're going to take that knowledge somewhere else and grow within their own uh, professional development and be productive somewhere else. We, we go at that with eyes wide open. But the labor laws are challenging to overcome, so it kind of stif- 
stifles that opportunity for interns and for apprentices. Um, but I believe you're also working with a partnership with the Long Beach City College where, and there was another, um, I forget the name of the organization, but it, it was a small business um, organization that they run out of Long Beach City College. Anyways, we, we got together with like two or three different groups in Long Beach. And the way it was gonna work was that the high schools would identify some students that would be interested in doing an internship with the company. And then the other nonprofit would reimburse us for a portion of the, of the wages that we would pay out. So it made it a little bit more doable from a business standpoint. You know, once, you know, the COVID crisis stuff kind of calms down a little bit, that's a program that I'd like to reintroduce. And my goal here at this company would be to provide opportunities for local kids to experience engineering, to experience land surveying, so that when they graduate, unlike me, when I graduated, there'll be more engineering and surveying opportunities here in Long Beach. Because when I graduated, there was, I think there was one company here and they didn't do what I did. Uh, so between them and the city, that was it. I know a school off the bat that would love your services and that would be McBride. Have you reached out to McBride there on, uh, what are they on, Studebaker and um, Carson? I did not, I had some, I had another, I had my um, marketing manager take the lead at the time mm-hmm. and she got some great responses, some initial responses. And I think we got to the point where we had lined everybody up for mock interviews. I told her, don't worry, we're going to hire everybody, but let's just make them go through the interview process. Yeah, so nice. They get a real feel, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's as far as we got, unfortunately. I, I don't know if McBride was on her list or not, but you know, she was working with some counselors throughout the, the district. Yeah, because uh, McBride, they're big on engineering and architecture. I don't even think they have any. Uh, I think they have very little sports programs right now because the kids are so concentrated on the, the math and science and engineering that uh, I don't think they have too many sports programs. I think they have some, but not like if you were to go to Lakewood or, or Millican or Wilson and such. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting how it works. I think the, the funding that the, the nonprofit was going to give us I think there was only certain schools that qualified for it. And I, I think it just had to be, it, it just depended on the income in that neighborhood, something like that. There's always a catch, right? So, but yeah, that, that's kind of the, the things that I take pride in as an entrepreneur, as a business owner. Those are the things that you can do for your community in addition to the service you provide. You know, being able to have a community in which these young people have the opportunity to at least see this stuff, I think is very enriching for everybody. Absolutely. So before we, we end this, because uh, I know you're a busy man, um, give us some good food spots that you like to go with you and your wife and your kids. Where do you like to eat? Oh, man, you're putting me on the spot. Um, well, part of this is a little bit biased because we don't really like driving too far uh, on our nights out. You know, we, we are aware of some decent places in, in the L.A. Basin because we, we've lived everywhere from, you know, Santa Monica to uh, Pasadena, Whittier, and now Long Beach. But I got to say, I think the second street spots are, are some of our favorites. Uh, we like Naples. We like um, Michael's on Naples. We like St. Second. Um, Ubuntu is a good, a good spot to, to go every once in a while. Which place? What's Ubuntu, that called? The cafe, Ubuntu. Oh, oh, the one we already talked about. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're really close to us. That's super convenient. They're a good lunch spot. 
and uh, Claire's is also Claire's at the museum is a good brunch area. Um, yeah, we've got a, we got a few few local favorites. Well, if there's any companies or organizations that that need your service, how could they uh, reach you? Yeah, they could just go to our they can find us on our website. Uh, it's a moran-corp.com, and they can get a little sneak peek at what we get. Uh, we get different requests from different people and whether it's engineering or surveying um, most of the people that kind of are in the need of those services know who we are but yeah if anybody thinks they need they need a survey they can call us or if they they have a large church or school that they want to repurpose into something more useful to, to the community then they can absolutely reach out absolutely caesar it's been a pleasure uh, talking with you. I know when we see each other, we see each other for like two minutes. We just say hi. I think one, I think the last time you saw me is I was walking across the street and I think you just hawked and waved at me. I think it was the last time I saw you. So it's kind of nice to, to, to hear your story, man, because like I said, I really haven't even spoken to you in a, in a nice form since high school. So it's kind of great to see where you're coming from and, and the, what you're doing for the community of Long Beach and, um, I can't wait. Sky's the limit for you, my friend. No, I appreciate it. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, attending some of your, uh, your in-person events. So if, uh, once you get those up and rolling, let me know. I'll, I'll make sure to attend. Will do, man. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks a lot. Well, Paul Fortune, it's been a Long Beach thing. Have a good day. Thank you for tuning into It's a Long Beach Thing. Please tune in next time for another great episode. Thank you and have a good rest of your day.